Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of handling the word of truth with precision We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, we're now on a roll in this revived series. Oh, that first means that. We're on session 41. The series originally aired in 2022 from January to September, spanning 31 programs. But in May this year, 2023, back by popular demand, we're pressing on to be detectives of the divine. To hear the original 31 archived sessions or catch up on these recent sessions, go to faithtalk1360.com under local program podcasts. Well, friends, let's grab our detective's cap and our spiritual magnifying glass because today we're strapping on our Old Testament sandals. So we protect ourselves from cavalierly and authoritatively blurting out what we think a Bible verse means, maybe even not realizing we're imposing a personal or modern perspective on it. Friends, I often wonder why we still misuse Scripture. And I recently discovered that Bible scholars were actually asked this question. Their reply was, declining biblical literacy, questionable Bible translations, and preachers who don't do their homework. And while Christians generally want to know what Bible passages mean, we so often miss the meanings because we're focused on what we expect or want to find. It saddens me, friends, that too many of us crave our spiritual quick fix, our biblical morsel for the day, so we can get on with life, instead of taking some extra time to search out the context of verses we so easily abuse. Isn't God's Word worth this investment? Shouldn't we desire to do the scriptures justice, despite the cost to us? Shouldn't we desire to respect the Holy Spirit, since he's the author and inspirer of our scriptures? Frankly, aren't we upset that up till now we've identified 40 Bible verses commonly misunderstood, mischaracterized, misinterpreted, and as a result, misapplied? Shouldn't our heart's desire be to faithfully and carefully scrutinize Bible passages we've believed meant one thing, since we're discovering they really mean something different? And I'll keep saying, I take no pleasure in shining a spiritual searchlight on or get any glee from critically reinvestigating texts that are unsupportably taught by some of us preachers, teachers, and pastors. 
And you know why, friends? Because the Bible has a story to tell us, doesn't it? It's crying out. Actually, it's screaming out to tell us its story. But what do we pastors, teachers, and preachers, and even average Christians do? We force or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. And why I say, shame on us. Today our scripture under scrutiny is Proverbs 29:18, traditionally rendered, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he, per the King James. And shortly we'll see why the New King James is slightly different. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. I'm calling today's session, Vision Casting? Not... Dr. Robert McCabe, professor of Old Testament at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, shared that in his early years as a Christian, he heard sermons on Proverbs 28:19, again traditionally rendered, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. He recalled the gist of these sermons, effective Christian leaders have vision, you know, the ability to set goals for the future that result in church growth or some other facets of ministry. He goes on to say that people perishing then referred to the fact that if the goals are not followed, the church or ministry becomes stagnant, even irrelevant. Furthermore, perishing may also refer to people losing their sense of vitality. McCabe quotes a prominent American pastor who maintained that without the vision of Proverbs 29.18, people can't focus, can't reach their goal, can't follow their dream. He adds that vision casting is often tied to Proverbs 29.18. So, as a Christian leader's goals have biblical justification from this verse. Fortunately, McCabe became convinced that this is an illegitimate understanding of Proverbs 29.18 based on its context. And friends, our goal today as detectives of the divine will be to uncover the clues that enable us to draw the same conclusion. But first, let's hear another pastor who thankfully also recognized that Proverbs 29.18 was being unsupportably taught in churches. He proposed this common scenario. The hired gun brought in by the ambitious pastor tells the contented church, To be a big church, you need to think big. You want to grow? Think growth. You want to triple your attendance in two years? Build an auditorium that size. If you can dream it, you can believe it. If you can believe it, you can achieve it. This hired gun then declares, God agrees. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. So get a vision, people. Get a vision of tripling the size of your little church. Sign your pledge cards today. Help your pastor get that multi-million dollar mortgage. You need a vision so your church won't dry up and disappear. Wow, what a soundbite, huh? Friends, the words of Proverbs 29.18 are well-known words, but the true meaning, sadly, is not so well-known. One author comments that this is one of the most abused verses in the Bible, and that our most common interpretation reflects the sound of words with no regard for the sense of the words. That's some indictment, huh? This author prays, may God save us from such ignorant and flippant use of the scriptures. 
and adds that there's nothing here, in Proverbs 29.18, about dreaming or building plans. Another writer contends that Proverbs 29.18 is one of the most misapplied verses in the Bible. He proposes that the traditional rendering we're most familiar with is one of the most misunderstood and most misapplied verses. He readily admits that Christian leadership books quote Proverbs 29.18 as a rationale for churches to write a vision statement. The traditional rendering fits nicely for those who want to persuade others to compose a vision statement. Assistant professor of pastoral ministry, blogger, and podcaster Jared Wilson writes that Proverbs 29.18 is clearly not about vision casting. He also echoes that this passage may be one of the most misapplied verses in all the evangelical church today. Wilson strongly opposes church leaders using Proverbs 29.18 to spiritualize their strategies and blackmail congregants into supporting their personal entrepreneurial goals and visions. Church mission statements are then crafted to serve their visions. Values are then composed to serve their missions. After that, an array of programs are developed to serve these values. Leaders are then recruited to serve the programs, and volunteers are marshaled to assist these leaders. Wow, what a tangled web we weave, huh, friends? This flurry of activities in the name of vision casting seems to exist to ensure the church machine keeps running smoothly. We often see this played out in megachurches, where the whole machine is devoted to putting on an excellent weekend worship service. All this would perish, if you will, if that vision were not cast. Friends, I've said often that one key to properly interpreting a scripture verse is to ask the right question. Perhaps now's the time to ask this pertinent question. What if a church leader's good idea for church expansion or success was not the vision encapsulated in Proverbs 29.18? And a companion question is appropriate here. Are we permitted to, or can we just freely insert into the vision of Proverbs 29.18 anything we come up with on our own, no matter how spiritual or inspired it may be? Well, friends, now is the time for us to get down and dirty, get real with Proverbs 29.18, and hunt down an unvarnished and frank answer. Let's get our spiritual magnifying glass and incessantly search for the truth. Unearth these clues that will ultimately put the kibosh on the prevailing and seemingly ruling interpretation. First up, let's consult some different translations that appear to offer a more accurate picture of what Proverbs 29.18 is really communicating. The Net Bible says, When there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But the one who keeps the law, blessed is he. The ISV says, Without prophetic vision, people abandon restraint, but those who obey the law are happy. Consider the NIV, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Even some dynamically driven translations make a valiant effort to portray the contextual meaning, like God's Word translation, without prophetic vision, people run wild, but blessed are those who follow God's teachings. Or the NLT, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild, but whoever obeys the law is joyful. Even the CEV, not a favorite, says, without guidance from God, 
Law and order disappear, but God blesses everyone who obeys his law. Second up, friends, I quote these Bible translations because collectively they bring a spiritual ambiance to the interpretational table that we would not normally see when reading one translation or only our favorite translation. And we'll put these wording choices to the test to see just how close they come to not only the original Hebrew terms and expressions, but to the immediate, broader, and historical context. Another astute minister observed, The most obvious difficulty with the prevailing interpretation is that it doesn't take into account the entire verse. Notice, friends, how this verse sounded after I quoted it in full versus how many pastors, preachers, and teachers present it, especially when their personal agenda is to vision cast. So again, I'll say, shame on them. Friends, that the actual verse is longer than usually quoted? So third up is the historical backstory, which adds insight to the word choice of vision. Vision here must be understood as prophetic vision. The grave error in the prevailing interpretation is that the Hebrew term itself, translated vision, is never connected to setting long-range goals, whether church growth or otherwise. This noun, used some 35 times in the Old Testament, is tied to the verb form, which means to see or to receive revelation. This word is used by and in Isaiah and Ezekiel, referring to prophetic revelation or vision given by Yahweh, Israel's personal and covenant God. In 1 Samuel, when God spoke to Samuel in chapter 3, verse 1, word from Yahweh was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent or uncommon. Psalm 89.19 says, At that time you, Yahweh, spoke in a vision to your godly ones, and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. This Hebrew term for vision is also among the first words in the books of Isaiah, Obadiah, and Nahum. Isaiah begins, the vision of Isaiah. Obadiah begins, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says Yahweh Adonai, or the Lord God, concerning Edom. Nahum begins, the oracle, or utterance of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. Here the word oracle or utterance reinforces the idea that Nahum has been given a divine prophetic utterance, which is then called a vision. So, friends, attaching this Hebrew word for a vision to a leader's own insights or his so-called private vision about the future for his church, we nix divine revelation. The Old Testament Hebrew prophets' revelations are fundamentally distinct from our modern, popular, and fanciful interpretation. Secondly, we must not miss that the prophetic revelations are parallel to and wedded to the law mentioned in the second half of Proverbs 29.18, the half we leave out, as in, but the one who keeps the law, blessed is he, or, but blessed are those who follow God's teachings, 
or, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Now, some clarification is needed here, friends. Our perception of the law, in other words, the law of Moses, is often a skewed perception. Law for us tends to be understood as laws in the way our Gentile Western minds think. But for the Jews, law meant instruction, teaching. Well, let's pause here a moment, friends. If you tuned in late, you're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I value you as listeners to A Word from the Word, which is listener-funded. Your financial partnership keeps this program on the air, which also disciples Christians without a church home, plus those of you who may have been wounded by the institutional church. Join forces with me and A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at a word from the word at minister.com. We'll repeat this info at the end of the program. So, friends, the Israelites saw their prophets' instructions or teachings as laws to live by that reflect their relationship to and with their personal and covenant God, Yahweh. And let me just say at this juncture that we westernized Gentile Christians need a serious mind adjustment. It's high time we reacquaint ourselves with how the Israelites saw their quote-unquote law. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we find what the Jews now call the central declaration of their faith. Verse 4, repeated by Jews three times a day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might or strength. This statement is tucked in between the latter part of chapter 5 and the statements that follow in chapter 6. Near the end of chapter 5, Moses makes statements like, Oh, that they, the Israelites, had such a heart in them, in other words, God's laws, that they would fear me, Yahweh, and keep all my commandments. Again, but as for you, Moses, stand here by me that I may speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the rules which you shall teach them, the Israelites, that they may observe them. Shortly after 6.4 are these statements, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Then you should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And so the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Finally, in 625, it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded us. Now, friends, please don't get your hackles up and in defensive mode blurt out that all this is legalistic righteousness. Did you just forget the occurrences of love and the heart in the statements I just read? And notice what's said in chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 say, The Lord, Yahweh, did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. And in verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. 
So these verses, friends, tell me that God always wanted a love-bound relationship and not a duty-bound relationship. This God of love gave his people rules to follow so that they would know how to love him back. Have we just discarded our detective's cap? Have we just laid aside our spiritual magnifying glass? Have we just removed our Old Testament sandals? Or have we been undauntingly observant to the contextual relevance of the clues we're unearthing? After all, the second half of Proverbs 29.18, and the half we so easily blow off as irrelevant, actually contains the clues that enable us to interpret this proverb properly. The second half of Proverbs 29.18 tethers the interpretation to the first half, padlocks it to protect ourselves from cavalierly and authoritatively barking out what we think this Bible verse means. You see, our spiritual quick-fix attitude and our biblical morsel-for-the-day mindset compel us to snatch the first half away from its context and force it to say whatever we want it to say. Instead of observing and realizing that the term vision in the first half forms a parallel with the phrase the law in the second half. And to this lack, I say, shame on us. And friends, do we think our New Testament doesn't affirm or corroborate Moses' words from God in Deuteronomy? Shame on us if we do. A few verses in Romans 6 should cure us of this misperception. Verses 13 and 14. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Whoa, wait a minute, you mean grace wants me to behave this way? Verse 17, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now let's put the cherry on the whipped cream. Romans 8, 3 and 4 say, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful humanity to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in human flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Well, wait a minute. You mean if I live by the spirit, I'll fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law? Yep. And according to Proverbs 29:18, we can be blessed, joyful, and happy doing it. Whoa. Well, let's put the final touch on Proverbs 29:18, cuz the first half has the word perish. In Hebrew it carries the meaning of letting go or letting loose. In Exodus 32, it describes the Israelites being unrestrained in their morals while Moses was on Mount Sinai. The NIV translates it, running wild. Hmm, 
recall God's word translation? Without prophetic vision, people run wild. But blessed are those who follow God's teachings or God's laws. Friends, Proverbs 29.18's there and then has tremendous spiritual significance for us in the here and now. The direct correlation for the Israelites' moral condition and their submission to God's divine revelations parallels our own moral condition and our submission to God's divine revelation, which we now call the Bible. Therefore, the vision is prophetic vision the revelation of God to his biblical spokespersons. So where there is no vision communicated by God's appointed spokespersons, we like savages will just run wild, unrestrained. This is echoed in Psalm 2, 1 through 3, where the world wants to break free of God's shackles, God's chains, in other words, God's moral restraints, God's laws. Oh, but this isn't happening in our world today, is it? One of God's spokespersons is the Apostle Paul, who said in Colossians 1, I have become the church's servant by the commission God gave me, or the office entrusted to him by God, to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. This mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, the lesson of Proverbs 29.18 is simple, yet powerful, isn't it? God's word is a great blessing, and obeying it is the basis for true happiness. But where God's word is not preached, people will die in ignorance and folly, unrestrained, starving for knowledge. In Second Chronicles 15, under Asa, Israel went a long time without a teaching priest or the law of God. But during Josiah's reign, the law of God which had been lost was found during temple renovations. When Jesus came on the scene in the first century Roman world, what did he find? His own people devoid of faithful preaching, sheep without any true shepherds. So where there is no vision shared with us by God's appointed spokespersons to whom God has revealed the mystery of the ages, our recourse is to run wild, out of control, unrestrained. We may cast our own vision, but it won't be the one given to the biblical representatives of God's revelation. This, then, is the lesson of our proverb. So let's not let anyone corrupt this verse again. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program. I hope it's blessed and challenged you. As promised, we'll close with an email to inquire about helping fund a word from the word, which is listener funded. I love coming alongside you who don't have a church home or you who've been wounded by the institutional church. Podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Also at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks to my friends and partners at christianbody.net. We're heard in 70 plus countries. Please invest in the mission of a word from the word. Help us become fully funded. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. 